Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Higley. And I'm Lindsay Hunter. And I'm, I'm a, a writer. writer, but... Welcome to I'm a Writer But. Today we have Coco Picard. Coco Picard is a writer, cartoonist, and curator. She is the author of The Healing Circle, which is the winner of the Red Hen Press Women's Prose Prize and of two graphic novels, Meowsers and The Chronicles of Fortune, which was nominated for a Dinky Award. Art criticism and comics have otherwise appeared under the name Caroline Picard in Art Forum, Hyper Allergic, The Paris Review, and Seven Stories Press, among others. She started the Green Lantern Press in 2005, earned her MFA from the School of the Art Institute, and was a bookends fellow at Stony Brook University. You can visit her online at CocoPicard.com. Welcome, Coco. Welcome. Hi. Thanks so much for having me. It was very exciting to be here. So excited to have you. We were just chatting about how we know each other from pre-motherhood back in the the lit scene days of Chicago. <laughs> yeah, the, I mean, I feel like I think my one of my introductions to the lit scene of Chicago was um, Quickies at the Intertown Pub. Thank you. Hell yeah, yeah. I know. And you were running the Green Lantern Press, which was so fancy and... <laughs> um, yeah. And then like life happened, like we blinked mm-hmm. and it's 10 years later, here we are yeah. back together. <laughs> yeah. And this is like where the theme song happens. <laughs> I'll try to like slot one in, in post-production. <laughs> I might um, send you some lyrics, but we'll just okay. worry that about that later. That <laughs> um, your new book is the healing circle. I absolutely loved it. Um, I thought it was so funny and and poignant and um weird and great and I can totally see why it won the Red Hen Press Women's Prose Award um and I want to hear you read to us from it Uh, thanks thanks so much um all right I'm gonna just it's composed of a a number of short chapters so I'm just gonna read a few and then I guess the um the only thing to know is that it's about a woman who sort of runs away from her family in search of a miracle cure. Um, and all of her kids are old and um, her husband had passed away, but she's sort of dislocated and kind of re-experiencing her life in mm-hmm. the present tense. 
Um, okay, so here we go. The handlers tell everyone not to touch the holy one. It's like strippers, Lena jokes. You can be touched, but not touch. Mother and the rest of the healing circle stand in line with a few hundred others in a long since closed Ross dress for less. Everyone shuffles forward to see the guru. And there she is, a stout woman sitting cross-legged on several silk tasseled pillows like a voluptuous chicken. The holy one pulls mother's head to her breast automatically. And already mother is crying like a lamb with hiccups pressing into her holiness's chest. Ma, 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 the guru says mechanically. Ma, 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 bleeding with a fuller voice. Everything is warm, a little too much. Mother stares at the fleshy linoleum tile and notices the faded silhouettes of former shopping aisles. She used to come here to find shoes. Ma, 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 surrounding members of the crowd shift and sway. Mother feels the pressure of the Holy One's arms, the pliancy of her skin. The guru smells like sweat, sugar, a hint of tiger bomb and incense. Mother sobs. How can I live? How can I survive? What am I surviving? My mother never loved me, mother says. She is just about to let go of everything, all the tension, sorrow, resentment, to find redemption or solace or whatever, to have one of those moments when she might experience her unburdened, light-soaked, profound, true self and be healed when a handler abruptly picks up mother by the shoulders and moves her to the side, setting her against Nancy's back, her mother slumps into weeping. It is Lena's turn to be touched. Mother turns to see, ma, ma, ma. Andrea's behind Lena, glowing with expectation, and mother turns. Devotees whisper beside her. The Holy One was beaten as a child, did you know? It's on her website. Nobody understood her gifts. Women always pay the price, someone else agrees. Mother might go back to the beginning of the line and do it all over again. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks, Coco. that's all you're going to give us i can read like two more but they're pretty sh- if you want it's up to you yeah? i want i think yes okay okay um so this is another kind of episode from um mother's um sort of search for healing um that she you know visits all these places with her friends that call themselves the healing circle but why does why do i get sick mother asks the room She sits beside Lena and Nancy in the Marriott Banquet Hall of some suburb she'd been approximate to for years, but never heard of. Lena holds mother's hand. There are so many gurus out there, Lena whispers. If this one doesn't work, we'll find another. She finds these people through various self-help newsletters and blogs that have transformed her Google algorithms. I was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma several years ago. I'm in my sixth remission, mother says. Others in the room applaud like it's an AA meeting. And I'm trying to learn more about why this happens in order to prevent it from happening again. Mother worries she isn't making sense. Does that make sense? I want to survive. What can I do to live a better life? A guru is in the front of the room on a makeshift stage. This one is male and allegedly a prince from some very cold country in the Far East. He sits cross-legged, watching everyone and everything, eyes half-lidded. When he moves, he does so slowly, as though to demonstrate that he inhabits an alternate plane of reality. Rumor has it he is a difficult person. Lena says the hotel staff had trouble constructing a stage according to his specifications because their lowest risers were 12 inches, and he requires a stage no more than 
seven inches in height for fear of reinscribing hierarchical patterns in his lifetime. The workshop was nearly canceled until the hotel carpenter cut five inches off each riser. These are the mysteries of the universe, the guru says. Why do we suffer? I know monks who feed stray dogs around the temple because they believe the dogs were bad monks in a past life. When you see a worm, what do you see? I see a being who fell from the karmic ladder. I do not know what the worm did, but I practice compassion. Everyone has weaknesses. Our weaknesses, our failures, and circumstances are teachings. But those same weaknesses, failures, circumstances further present opportunities. What shall we do within the constraints of our private theater of suffering? Suffering, even when it appears mindless, cruel, these fortunes enwrapped us, absorb us, fulfill an idea of ourselves, creating bundles of attachment. People applaud. Does that mean it's my fault, Mother whispers? Um, and then I'll just read one last vignette. And this one is sort of written from the fictive present where um, Mother is in the hospital, hospital room and she, uh, over the course of the book, befriend, befriends this aloe plant that eventually is, um, reveals itself to be uh, called Madame Blavatsky. Outside the wellness center, a fine rain makes the woods especially dark and looming. Only a few patches of snow remain in the shadows and the sky is swollen like a bruise. The television broadcasts a cooking show on mute. Mother changes the channel to find news pundits discussing an American porn star who allegedly slept with the president on multiple occasions. The aloe plant, always so bright, has dropped one of its arms. Why did you drop it? Mother wonders. What was wrong with that one? It looked just like the others, plump and green as malachite with almost purple spots. It seems a shame to let such a nice portion of oneself go to waste. Aloe contains such healing properties, she thinks. Maybe the arm is a gift. Or did the plant send its limb on an expedition to see what lies on the other side of its pot? That's the end. Or that's all I'll read at the end of the book. <laughs> Thank you, Coco. Yeah. Um, one aspect of this novel that I really appreciated was the central predicament of the entire novel and, you know, of Mother herself can be summarized really simply and is on the back cover of this book. And yet, as soon as you begin reading that predicament, which can be, you know, very concisely summarized is complicated immediately by the structure and is given more texture and life immediately by how this book is organized. I was wondering if the structure of the healing circle is something that you started with or if you had kind of the central predicament and then worked your way to a point where you knew how to tell the story oh i love i mean i love that question but i also love i love that that's your experience of the book i think that's what i was hoping um you know in other words that like it is it is sort of straightforward but that the 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 structure or the formal quality kind of makes it, um, I don't know, have, have texture or depth. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that I knew, um, I guess I should say I've been working on the book for a really, really long time, but also not 
in a kind of like a uh, straightforward manner. <laughs> and I think, um, I think I knew early on, or just the way that it was, it was happening, the way the book was happening, it was happening in these short vignettes. And so then I sort of wondered why as I was working on it. And I think as I was working on it, I started to get really interested in this idea that like, um, what if time in the book is sort of all happening at the same time to the main character, to the, to the mother character mm -hmm. um, and how that for me on the one hand, like one of the things that she sort of asks herself periodically is if she's, if she's already died Mm -hmm. And this, and so she's like inhabiting a kind of purgatory or whether this is like, you know, real linear life. Um, and I, I guess I was excited that the creating these like formal constraints of like short chapters, all in the present tense, but also like representing different times of um the mother's life would kind of create this um hopefully this kind of like instant this feeling of like, like you know everything is happening at once mm. how long have you been working on the book I mean I think that I started working on this um like in grad school like 10 wow. 10 years ago or something but I also think I, I kept sort of picking it up and putting it down and picking it you know because mm -hmm. it I just it like was never working <laughs> I it's it, it strikes me like one of the thing one of the big realizations I've had as a mom is that your everything is happening all at once because your childhood is happening as you're experiencing experiencing your children's childhood and your young adulthood and you're you're now you're always extremely in the present you're excruciatingly in the present <laughs> with your children but but <laughs> your past is always right there and you're always thinking about the future. And it, it really does feel like time is happening all at the same time, the way that it's happening for the mother in this book. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so it's so interesting. Cause I, I assumed you had written this once you became a mother, because it was like, ah, oh, yes, she's had the same realization. Mm -hmm. um, did it change for you? Like did writing it change for you after you had kids? And I know that's such a, usually a gendered question, <laughs> but I really am specifically concerned with like the crafting of it and the you know yeah. where you were as you wrote it and and how you know the story opened itself up to you in a, in a different way if possible yeah I think it totally did I mean I think also because um like I'd I basically I feel like I'd been sort of working on it um picking it up and putting it down for a number of years and I kind of like got it to this point where it felt like it was um it, like it finally got to be itself Mm -hmm. um and that was like right at the point where it won like I both got into the Stony Book Book Bookends Fellowship and it won the Red Hen Press Prose Prize and so mm -hmm. all, all of us and there was COVID and I was like pregnant again <laughs> oh <my laughs> so I feel like it was like this really like like that was the moment I basically spent the next like I don't know year and a half just working on it I mean, primarily, you know, of course there's like other things um, like freelance work and whatever, working from home, childcare, that sort of stuff. But I feel like my um, 
creative focus at the time was suddenly and consistently just working on this book. And so I also think that really changed. Like, it's sort of like I couldn't actually do that until the book was a sort of completed manuscript. Um, but then there was all, all this other work to do to kind of um, like, for instance, again, like one of the formal things that I kept running up against was how do you have a book with these like composed of all these fragments um, that jump through different timelines all like throughout the book, but also keep the reader located in each of those jumps because that felt really important to me. Um, and so I think that was that was like one of the big challenges that I worked on. And what was great was while I was working on that challenge, I feel like there were all of these other um, narrative discoveries that I made, you know, about um, like the mother character's backstory and um, what her kids were actually up to and you know most of that stuff has also been cut but it, I like know it's there mm -hmm. no I love I um George's trajectory is so <laughs> I mean <laughs> um it's so of the moment <laughs> <laughs> um and very very interesting and um no I love these little glimpses we get of um like bunny possibly broke her feet and you know is maybe in rehab or just out of rehab or um no no she's fine she's fine you know it's like yeah yeah and it brings me to another question i had which is um her name is ursula the mother's name is ursula or sula mm -hmm. but um but most of the time it's mother the mother mm -hmm. um and even when she's flashing back to moments with her own mother it's she's still thinking of herself as mother and mm -hmm. I, I really wanted to hear you talk about that choice because in some moments I thought, okay, that's how she sees herself or that's sort of a way that like all of us start to see ourselves because of, I don't know, man, society. Um, but also, <laughs> also it felt maybe even a little like, um, like a little bit of like a, an anger response toward her children because that's how they treat her. Mm -hmm. Um, or it's also something she's proud of. Um, and so I just, I wanted mm -hmm. to hear what you, what, what you were thinking when you named this character mother, the mother all throughout the book. Yeah, I mean, I think that was like, um, there's also, I guess I was really interested in how much, what do I wanna say? It's like gravity. There's so like, you sort of apply that name and all of a sudden she has this, um, all this, what do you say? Like, I want to say centripetal force, but I don't know if that's right. But basically it's like, she, something about um, who she is or what she represents in the book itself really changes in a way that I'm interested in. And mm -hmm. I think part of it, I'm partly I'm interested in it because I think it's um, problematic. Like, mm. uh, I think it's, and this is again, just from, what, from some of the things that I was thinking about, I think it's really interesting that there's this idea that she um, she's she's leaving her family. She's like mm -hmm. abandoning her children, but her children are also fully grown, mm -hmm. and um, it's like not clear that she has much of her own life necessarily. Like that, she doesn't have a lot of obligations in her own life. Um, so on the one hand, I feel like it seems 
like she's making a selfish a selfish decision and i definitely think that she's um you know she's like a complicated character i don't think that she's like um any sort of saint i think she is pretty selfish in a lot of ways but i also think one of the one of the the reactions that i have had to her is like i can't believe you would do this and you know it's sort of like mirrored in what her kids say i can't believe you would do this and like run off to get this cure um but also then there's a part of me that's like yeah but if i didn't call like if she wasn't called mother if she was if she was right. called like i wish i knew i could remember what um you know like the eat pray love protagonist's name is but if you sort of like gave her i don't know if maybe if she was just called sula the whole time then it would be much more just about like her journey as mm -hmm. like an individual um and so there is something that i was like interested in how calling her mother torques that like mm -hmm. how we expect her to behave um and then also there's this way where, I mean, I think I'm also kind of interested in the idea that she, within the world of this book, she is a mother, the mother. And then there are these like other mothers that kind of show up at different times. Mm -hmm. There's a staginess to being called <laughs> mother as opposed to, oh, she's my mother. Or like when it actually becomes a name and functions in that way, I feel like the nature of the fall or the nature of the leaving takes on a more complicated or just inscrutable quality immediately as opposed to mom or mama mama or you know or ursula or sula and yeah there i think it gives immediately it it, it just adds a little bit of strangeness to it, it adds an extra tension immediately because you're kind of reading to interpret how to understand that naming. Um, it is wild how much baggage it, it holds just that name. I mean, I know, I'm, I'm it's unbelievable. Like I, I, I never hear it like flatly, like, I think like mother or like, you know, like it's like never, like, it's never just mother. It's, there's always something that, that the reader is bringing to it heavily. I'm, I'm realizing that as I pictured her, I would always picture her in like Lotus pose, like floating with like light coming from her forehead because of, of the mother, the mother, but it, it goes to, um, she's in denial. And I think that's sort of, uh, like a necessity when you're that sick. Um, you mm -hmm. have to just, if you're, you know, and I think part of her leaving her family is like, don't worry. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. This sucks, but I'm going to go get better. And then I'm going to come back and I'm, then I really, I'm going to be your mother. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's this just heartbreaking denial happening there. Um, and, and like every once in a while, you know, like the truth or reality sort of like creeps in. Um, but for the most part, she's like, yeah, I can't feel my legs, but you know, <laughs> like this, yeah. I'm going to be the first one to be cured and it's going to be great, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that was like another thing that I was also really interested in was this like, um, like where is her ego, you know, um, where's her ego in this? And then what is the relationship between like her ego and like, again, that name, like, I feel like there's kind of, there's also a way where she's like entire, aside from being sick, 
um, and like grappling with this disease for many, many years. She's like, this is a scenario like entirely of her own making. So she's Mm -hmm. kind of responsible for it. Mm -hmm. Um, In another way that I feel like is like for better or worse, often attributed to mothers, you know? Um, And I think that then there's something really wild about this idea, which I feel like, I don't know, it's easy to fall prey to in different ways or different manifestations and con- con- constructs or something. But I feel like she does, she is telling herself that she's going to go to this place, you know, this like German wellness center, and she's going to get this cure and then she's going to be healed. And then she will revolutionize, like just change the history and face of medicine forever yeah. for everybody, yeah. which is also like um, kind of a saint complex type of thing, I think. Yeah, I'm going to go do this insane thing. It doesn't make any sense to anyone. It's dangerous. I shouldn't do any of this. It's expensive, <laughs> but just you wait, you know? <laughs> and it's see. also like the way that it's sort of dropped into conversation, which all of their gurus and healing stuff is, you know, her and her group of friends, the healing circle. It's like, oh yeah, I heard so-and-so went to Germany and this happened. And and, and <laughs> that becomes the thing that's going to change it all for her. Um but I also deeply relate, (laughs) you know, it's like, (laughs) I'll do whatever, you know, if I have the resources, sure. I don't care. I'll drink my own pee, you know, like whatever. (laughs) I'll, I don't know, but I'll do it. Um, because you know, there's like such a poignance to like the, like the base desire to just keep living. Mm -hmm. Well, and also there's something about like, what's the all what what would the alternative be and it seems like the alternative in this instance would be for like for mother to sit still and like be in one place and acknowledge that she's dying sort of publicly I mean publicly meaning like in front of her family and her friends yep and this is like by going this route she sort of is like no we're not I'm not doing that (laughs) he's like la 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 it's fine yeah everyone's fine. I'm fine. Mm-hmm. I, um, I really want to talk about how you, the very first page of the book, chapter mm. one. I was going to ask about that too. Yeah. In fact, could you just read it to us? Cause it's only, it's, it's very short. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Okay. Um, it is just past twilight. A young woman enters the frame of a bleak late winter wood looking directionless and distracted. She stops to look at the sky. It isn't raining but the ground is wet with rotting leaves and pine needles and dripping snow. Judging by the cuff of her jeans, she has been walking for some time. It is likely her socks are wet. She trips on a root, winding between black tree trunks, hands dug deep in a bright green coat. She approaches a tall man in an undershirt and plastic perforated clogs. He seems out of place, underdressed and ill-prepared, carrying a catheter like a purse. The strangers nod at one another before carrying on in opposite directions. The woman bisects a helipad. Its concrete is a buckling mess of negligence. Behind her, the man throws his catheter in the air without apparent effort. The bag of urine transforms into a parrot, flies off above the trees, and disappears behind the edge of the window. Gods appear in such strange places, Mother thinks, before turning away from the window and drifting off to sleep. Please say more about that. (laughs) (laughs) It's so Um, striking. 
continue. <laughs> I I will say I think since that is like one of the only things that's remained more or less intact from the first draft. Wow. Mm. Um, and I, it's something that I feel like I kept, I, you know, I would go get into places and like cut it or move it or, and it would just sort of always find its way back to the very beginning. Um, but I think, um, oh, I was also, yeah, I was thinking Alex about what you said in terms of the staginess of like calling mother, mother. Mm. And I also feel like I don't, you know, I don't know if this is your all's impression, but, um, Definitely when I finished the book, I was like, wow, I do, it, I do feel like it has this like a staged quality, like mm-hmm. everything more or less happens in one room, um, except that a lot of the action happens in mother's imagination or in her memory. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like the way it sort of happens live seems like, you know, you, like I could imagine it like the hospital room goes dim and then you see these like actors appear of course it would be like very cheesy but like um (laughs) (laughs) like I so in other words I was thinking about that um comment in relation to this opening because I feel I I feel like the frame of the window is so important Mm -hmm. to me and the fact that like there's this sort of magical transformation that happens but then you're immediately aware of this kind of a limited sight line mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and instantly, hopefully the sort of instability of mother's f- frame of reference of whether I mean, or not like she's experienced, like what she's seeing is true or she's just like highly, you know, on all these weird drugs that. Right. Even as you went back and, and read it, it struck me that, the opening really does have it re it almost reads like like a play um you know we're opening it's twilight a young woman enters the frame could easily be you know someone coming on stage and <laughs> even the kind of um there's a kind of like silhouetted quality to the way the human characters appear in in that first little section just the fact that it's like it's so they're like presented very starkly and the details are are not ones that link them together but separate them like you know a man holding a catheter like a purse okay he's off over here right we got that (laughs) and then we got and we have a woman you know walking in this very you know interesting forest type landscape but um there's a kind of like loneliness to the to the the way they're presented as well where I feel like it's such a great place to start because it imbues everything that follows with um I think a lot of what the book needs to succeed in that if you opened if you opened with in a different spot a less I don't know a less dramatic spot almost it it really does change so much. I feel like it's such a wonderful frame for the novel. Did you always have it up front to start? Yeah, I think so. But then I would like, you know, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe this happens to you too. I feel like there's, I have, um, I've been so lucky to have um, different friends and colleagues like read versions of the draft along the way and I think it was always like who is this girl 
and like what's up with the parrot you know what I mean (laughs) (laughs) and so I feel like those those were things where I would try and like answer those questions um and my attempts you know like directly like to basically like maybe the girl is you know a nurse or um you know essentially to try and make these um these first characters or people that we see have like later consequence Mm -hmm. um and I feel like I could never, I was never able to answer like any, any of my attempts were just always failed. And so then I would try and just, I think like, oh, I have to get rid of that. And so, then it wouldn't mm, feel right. Right. I feel like so often, sometimes a, a daring opening like that, or, you know, whatever it may be, this isn't always the case, but I feel like presented with certain choices in a word doc it's never going to work. And then when you see it in a book, <laughs> it feels like the instinct is kind of um, like ratified. It's like, yeah, oh, okay. I, like, I think it's important for things to remain unexplained because that's, that's mm-hmm. like the true beauty of living is <laughs> for these mysteries to, to endure, you know? And um, like, especially thinking about how the book ends with mm. Madame Blavatsky um and you know everything madame blavatsky stands for and reaching (laughs) out for the mother and we get these sensory details that the mother shouldn't have about the woman going through the forest and so it almost makes me feel um like there's a different transformation or perspective wedging itself in Mm. um and it's not something that like the mother ever expected but is exactly what she was looking for somehow. Mm -hmm. Um, So I just, I love that there are these things that happen that don't ever make sense in, in your, you know, like in our human experience, we've never seen a cat that her bag turn into a parrot and fly off. And, you know, it doesn't make sense for people to walk past each other and not be like, Hey, why are you standing out here (laughs) with your catheter bag? You know, Um, but are you lost? Right. Exactly. Can I help you? Um, but it makes sense in the, like the, this other world that, that the mother is like trying to settle into and doesn't even know that she is, you know, like it, it makes sense there. It's like a travel, you know, it's, it's a travel. Like this is basketball. It's like a journey. <laughs> it's a travel. I mean, that's like, because I, and I, I, sometimes I also feel like um, over the course of writing something like this, like I'm the often my direct attempts to solve a like quote unquote problem or you know maybe let's just say like a it's like a stumbling block that readers bump into and sort of are like what's up with that um sometimes I feel like my most direct attempts don't fix or resolve the issue but there's like the ways in which those direct attempts sort of accumulate there's like a residual accumulation (laughs) that kind of like buffs out the the issue you know in other words so like I couldn't figure out who these characters were like the perforated clog dude because he's just a patient maybe and this like stranger is walking through the woods but then I think um maybe having to tackle who they were 
made me like change or adjust the overall the book overall in these more nuanced ways does that Mm. make sense Mm -hmm. I think like the human brain really likes to puzzle things out and that's Mm -hmm. part of the joy of being a reader anyway is kind of slotting in like the clues you've picked up or you know things that matter to you and kind of painting a picture that is very meaningful and um like specialized for yourself (laughs) um and I don't know I just I'm I I'm I'm in awe of writers that are able to do that to leave that like space for the reader the way that you did with this one little page there is a logic a real logic to it though as well because it's like the chapters many of the chapters are so short that even just an you know not that you ever need an answer but if if you were forced to just say something like well, I mean, it, it, it gives the opening a tonal quality that I needed to have the rest work. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's enough because the chapters are so short. I feel like, <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, seriously, it's like, if, if that was a 10 page opening and none of it connected back in a way that was directly obvious to a reader paying attention, that's one thing. But if it's barely a page and it's giving us this incredible atmosphere and mood to get us into the the main narrative, that's completely a valid choice in my mind yeah and also like one of the main things it does is establish the book's sense of humor which is Mm -hmm. all throughout the book and um you know like (laughs) mother just is like huh you know god's appeared (laughs) anyway night night you know it's the book is so i posted uh like a screenshot of like one of the shortest chapters on my social media and um and I can't remember what it says, but it's basically like, oh, everyone agrees that this guru is on a power trip. So we all decided to, to drop LSD at, oh, the <laughs> ayahuasca group leader up north is on a power trip. So the healing circle cancels their weekend trip and decides to watch movies and microdose LSD at Lena's house instead. This is what it must feel like to be an American teenager, mother thinks, please to check it off her bucket list. It is so funny. It is just <laughs> genuinely funny and hilarious. And I feel like we've spent like the the first 30 minutes of this podcast talking about like its mystical qualities, but it is <laughs> hilarious. How, you know, like, was the humor always there? Did it surprise you that it was going to be so funny? Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess so. I, I, th- I think it's like, I think, I think the whole, well, I mean, yeah, I don't know. Yes and no. Like, I think it was, I needed it. I always needed it. But also because it was like, these were things that um, really seem funny to me. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. like, um, of course, there's something. What do I want to say? Like, I relate to the, to the terror of like, um, want of like self-improvement the desire for constant self-improvement of whatever Mm -hmm. form Mm -hmm. um but also it's like really funny like the lengths that I mean and maybe I shouldn't speak for everybody but like the lengths that I go to or the lengths that I've you know seen friends or family members go to to like try and achieve this thing like on the one hand you're like oh yeah snake oil whatever and then all of a sudden <laughs> like I'm like oh but maybe I do want to try <laughs> this like <laughs> weird vitamin thing you know right. like <laughs> the, I mean I think this one is really funny 
the like face marble roller do you know what yes. i'm talking about mm-hmm. yes <laughs> and you're like oh yeah that feels kind of good and i guess this is like gonna i like i never really cared about wrinkles i thought but then this thing is like you might get wrinkles and i'm like so i can just roll this on my face and i'm gonna feel better <laughs> oh why not i'll just spend like 30 dollars on this dumb thing you know yep, um, and freeze it every night and <laughs> Someone gave me, someone gave me a gift certificate for, um, which was like $155 for someone to shave all the peach fuzz off my face. What? And I was like, is this an issue? Should I not have peach fuzz on my face? Why is it so expensive? It is so expensive. I was like, can I try this in for a pedicure? And you're like, <laughs> yeah, wait, yeah, yeah, wait. And then I'm going to be freaking swarthy after that. Can we focus on this? $155 to shave your face one time? It's, it's like some procedure. I don't remember what it's called, but yeah, it was $155 to go get all the peach fuzz. And this person was like, it'll make your face as smooth as a baby's. And I was like, no, I'm no, not what? doing I even that. Get that. that doesn't make I'm going to shave every other day. God. <laughs> or like that also, I mean, I'm really into it, but it's, I've never done it actually. just like the idea, but it's like the spa treatment where you can go and you put your feet in like uh, fish tank and the, uh-huh. fish, the fish just like oh, yeah. eat your feet and it's like people you know, get bacterial I'm, infections from that I'm, of course they do <laughs> <laughs> so but it does you do think yeah, to yourself so, like oh duh we could have been doing this all along we just haven't been doing this and now if we'll do this then you know like i won't get like an, a hairy upper lip when I turn 40, you know, like I'm so stupid. I should have been whatever I should have Doing hyaluric acid should have been in my cereal at age six and I wouldn't be so wrinkly now, you know, it's, and it's just like, it's constant. It makes sense. You know, like we're always striving, but it is, it's, it's kind of uh, it's hilarious and it's heartbreaking. Well, and I guess I feel like it's like one of those things where I think um, on the one hand, I mean, I think on the one hand, it was like, it felt important to like, I guess I hope that one of the lasting impressions of the book first and foremost is that it is funny um, because I think it's a pretty, like otherwise it's a kind of a um, uh, monotonous uh, or I think it could very easily be a very, like a monotonous meditation on like <laughs> what it is to die. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think like that balance I think is really important and is in life all the time too, where you're like, oh, wow, life is so depressing, but it's hilarious, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> um, and there's something really funny about how like, so what if all of these cures that you kind of are very seductive or actually just because you don't want to think about how you're dying or mortal or getting old or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then I think it's funny that like on the one hand, there are all these gurus in the book who like even some of them, you know, they have like interesting things to say sometimes, but they're all kind of like supposedly helping people negotiate mortality except it's just a business do you know what I mean it's like Mm -hmm. they're still just getting lots of people to pay a lot of money to get a hug or whatever you know yep I feel like I could be a really good grifter if I just had let like a slight less of a conscience (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I could be rich but I I would feel too guilty I mean I kind of like yeah I really similarly it makes me wonder 
I don't know. Like, I feel like there should, do, do they go to the same parties, these gurus? And like, <laughs> do some of the, some of the gurus are like, oh, did you see like so-and-so? She's a real phony. But like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm always interested if, uh, um, to what extent do people believe in themselves? And I mean that as in a real question. And I don't mean that necessarily because I think all gurus are lying. Like, I do think that there's a lot of, it's like a very gray area for me, but I'm interested in it. And then I'm also really interested in how much people believe in what they're selling, Mm -hmm. because I think that not everybody does. Like, I think some people are total phonies. They like know that they're phonies. And then I think there are other people who um, like believe it. And mm. what does the, what's what's that like? And what kind of conversations do they have in their like you know, their like guru Slack channel? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I watched that um, under the banner of heaven based on that book under under the banner of heaven. And there's a bunch about um, and I don't remember the book at all for some reason. But there's a bunch about Joseph Smith and and like the start of Mormonism. And I think there's a constant question all throughout that's like, does this dude? believe that he saw this angel or was he like saying that because he was horny for (laughs) who eventually married him you know and like and it is it's like you you really do like kind of squint and look and think like I guess I can forgive him a little bit if he truly believes this but then why would he truly believe you know like it's it is it's a fine line yeah and like I mean I think there's also so much um I don't know like there's just different degrees of that um like I feel like it shows up in um I I have a family member who like got a job at like a new tech company that was like there was just a lot of um like language like company language that was like right on the edge of like self-help you know like this company is going to save the planet it's going to save your life like buy into it we're going to do it together that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. I mean it's so it's also amazing because I think it doesn't necessarily have to be like in a religious capacity you know oh no I think it's Um, every job I mean literally every single job that you can have there's some kind of like reckoning with the they may not phrase it to themselves as morality but there is some kind of built-in justification for the existence of the job and the way the money is being made within the language of the company like you're saying even if it's less obvious than some kind of do-gooding tech company it's like it doesn't matter if it's a grocery store garbage pickup it could be anything it's just like they all i think i think even if people have the initial self-awareness or kind of like organizational awareness that maybe there is a wrongdoing being done there's immediately this like the secondary move of well we can justify it for x and even if it's not something that's like a total buy-in by everybody i just i think this is like it's it's completely relevant to all ways of living and making money and everything yeah i think especially these days like it's not enough to be like you you know you want to be successful don't you like you want the big you know the nice house and to like whatever it because people are kind of on to that you know <laughs> these days 
so it has to kind of be like you're gonna change the world and mm-hmm. you know like your your contribution matters you know because it's like um a lot of us are like yeah you, you don't pay me enough <laughs> you know, like to care this much, Mm -hmm. but maybe you can get me on, we're going to take the plastic out of the oceans somehow by making this new app, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, what would you say Coco, if I said this was a sneaky novel about immigration and migration? Oh, I mean, uh, yeah, I think that that's, I would, I would agree with that. Mm -hmm. Um, it's in there. People yeah i feel like um one of the things that i was also really interested in was this idea of um like i feel like mother's identity is very com- com- complex like she was born in argentina but her parents um left germany shortly after the war and you know i think that they they decided to settle in this place in this um town called the Cumbrecita, which is was founded by germans and so there's this kind of colonial aspect of their of like ursula's upbringing that i think is kind of interesting in other words like i think her father in particular is not not a good good dude um he likes it there because he can kind of pretend that the war never happened mm-hmm. um and then her this is like a lot of backstory that it's in the book so i don't know if book, it's everyone. good to like talk about it all but basically like in some ways the fact that then like ursula and the mother character and her brother and mother they leave the father and move immigrate to new york or to to the united states um and sort of this starts to unfold in the in the book in um mother's memory at the same time as there are more and more um refugees that start coming into the hospital and like sleeping in the corridors because they don't have anywhere to be and um so there's this kind of additional dislocation and what the space of the wellness center becomes and mother's um sort of place like her entitlement in relation to them Mm -hmm. um i think all of that stuff was really important and interesting to me i think especially juxtaposed with this idea of like wellness and health and self-care and um who I guess like the even the privilege of deciding like where where you're going to die Mm -hmm. like it's I think that that's not a direct conscious thought in the mother character's mind but I also think that um it is what is happening Mm -hmm. yep it's on the news it's all over the place Mm -hmm. um there's also there's a way where the hopefully the ways in which the world also um appears and it is like transmitting into the book like through the television or through the arrival of strangers um that you really get the sense that it's like kind of it's falling apart in all of these different ways at the same time no getting around it just like there's no getting around death (laughs) (laughs) yet i should say yet (laughs) 
Well, we want to thank you so much for coming on. I loved your book so much. I yes. think I convinced at least one person to buy it on when I posted about it. Um, and I hope <laughs> I'm convincing more um, via this episode because it is such a delight and something I've been thinking about a lot ever since I finished reading it. Um, so everyone go to Red Hen Press and pick up a copy of The Healing Circle by Coco Picard. There you go. Thanks so very much, everyone. That was great. That was great. Love that book. Good book. Good weird book. Good weird book. Yes. Great synopsis. Thank you. Um, I just have a couple things. Do you have anything? I have one question for you. Please. What is your favorite Halloween candy? Oh my God. Provided that it is not coming in its full size. You are getting okay. the Halloween snack size. size. Yeah. Okay. All right. I feel I've, this, this answer has definitely changed over my life span. Okay. okay. So if, if I'm a kid, I'm going with Smarties. Really? I, and I still love Smarties. I do too. So I like much. them just like as a little pick me up, just like yes. hey, a little Smarties. Yeah. Anyone hands you a Smartie and you're like, Oh my God. Yeah. How, it's great. How great. Mm-hmm. Um, but now as a, as an adult and you know, my husband and I both have reached a point in our lives where like, we can't eat the crappy Halloween candy anymore. Okay. But if I'm, if I'm, if gun to my head, it's going to be Milky Way dark. Great, great answer. They're rare. Amazing answer. What's yours? You know what? Okay. Uh, I've thought about this a lot. I have a reasoning here. My answer is Snickers. And here's why. Mm. It is not the sexy pick, but (laughs) two months down the line, if I'm just like in that cupboard and I find the little Snickers, I'm thrilled. You're delighted. Okay. Absolutely. Snick like full size Snickers, small Snickers. It's great because it's what I want. That's it delivers. Too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just a yes. classic. What about peanut butter Snickers? Never had one. Oh. Didn't even know they existed. Peanut butter is like my favorite food, I think. You do love peanut butter. I, I love peanut butter too, but have. possibly less than you. <clears throat> You know, I think what it is, is I'm a vegetarian and I eat zero protein. And so my body's mm. like, please. And so I just love, <laughs> I just love peanut butter because <laughs> I, it's protein. Sure. Um, okay. Uh, great question. Um, I feel like more people should give out score bars and Rolos. Oh, Rolos are great. They don't, you just never see those anymore. Love a Rolo. Love a Rolo. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'll do a Butterfinger. Like Butterfinger to me is amazing. Like, but you just have to like acknowledge that you're about to like fuck up your teeth. And then like, I need, I actually like need to go handle it after it's like a little snack for later (laughs) stuck in your molar. (laughs) I hate that shit. I'll, I'll go floss immediately. (laughs) I've unfortunately reached the point in my life where like, I forget that I've just eaten something Mm-hmm. like right before school pickup and I'll go and I'll talk to all the moms and be smiling and everything. And I'll get back in the car and I'll have like a giant something in my teeth. Sure. And I, like, I feel like I used to see my mom do that and I'd be like, get it together. And I, I'm like, Oh God, that's me. I think it's fine. Thank you. I think it's good. I am very forgiving when I see people have something in their teeth. I'm not like horrified or anything. That doesn't really bother me. Yeah. Close to them as a human when it happens. I don't. Yeah. I'm not really bothered by physical appearance mistakes because I make them constantly yeah yeah whatever 
I was on the, um, I, I rode a school bus the other day. Cause I did, I chaperoned mm-hmm. my son's field trip. And one of the moms who I'm friends with sat with me on the way back. And there was like this in- intermittent fart smell. Oh, hell yeah. And in that moment, you can't be like, do you smell that? Because because she's what if she's farting? Mm-hmm. I don't think she was. But then I started thinking, what if she thinks I'm farting? And then did you consider that you were? I wasn't. I'm pretty no, know, aware. But did you that. consider that maybe you were and you and you weren't aware? I did. That thought did cross my mind. And I thought like, oh, my God, is my body getting away from me? <laughs> I no longer have control of that. Listen, it didn't smell like my farts. Okay. So sure, like, I'm pretty sure. familiar with that. Anyway, um, I just didn't know how to resolve it. I just ignored it and I could see her actively ignoring it, but I want her to know it wasn't me, but if it was her, it's fine. Well, she's you definitely know? not listening. So no, she, no, she's absolutely not listening. And if she did listen, she would laugh, but you can't be like, just, so you know, that's not me farting if they're farting. Cause then she'll be like, uh, I think you can. <laughs> If I was a little bit closer to her, I would definitely acknowledge it, but yeah. we're not on the fart level yet. How right. fast did you and Britt start farting in front of each other? Oh boy. Quick. Yeah. Same. Yep. We have like, yeah. I mean, having talked to other married couples, we have, we're very near the bottom as far as boundaries. Like we have, there's no boundaries. Mm-hmm. It's just, yeah. I think, it, I think it comes with kids though. I think that there's a big difference between, it's just like, I don't know, like, it's just, it's craziness all the time. Whatever. Yep. Yeah. It's, I, I love feeling completely accepted in all yeah. my everything, except like we don't like poop in front of each other, but that's about it. Everything else wide open. Yeah. There's no, there's no boundaries. Although he does like, he'll be like, hi, honey, from the bathroom. <laughs> okay. It also anyway. depends on orientation of house. I got to say. Yeah. Sometimes it's just like, you're just there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, our, we had a pocket door put in when we had our upstairs bathroom rehabbed Mm -hmm. a few years ago. And, um, it's a, it has glass. It has four glass panels, which is an idiotic bathroom door. And so like our guy, like quickly put like stick on window, uh, decals or whatever to make it like frosted window. Look, Mm -hmm. two of them have peeled off because it's a freaking bathroom and the it gets steamy in there so mm-hmm. <laughs> you can just see anyone doing anything in there at any time <laughs> what are you gonna do we're a family yeah whatever um i watched barbarian last night which is I maybe hearing about this movie fucking constantly it's maybe the best horror film i've seen in years wow okay i say go into it not knowing anything I don't know a little bit don't watch the trailer don't like don't oh, trust me i didn't I don't know if you're going to like it because you hate scary movies. I mean, right? listen, it's going to scare the shit out of me. I mm-hmm. Just looking at the it poster, is. I was like, mm, I don't know if I can handle this. You don't even know, man. The poster does not tell you anything. That's what I'm saying. It is. I'm, I'm going to get wrecked by this movie. I have a question. Mm-hmm. Are all the best horror films also a little bit sad? Wow, I love that question. I mean, how could the answer not be yes? I'm thinking like of like has to be yes. I thought the Babadook was really sad. Never seen it. I haven't seen anything. I, like, I think I've The Shining's sad. The Shining is definitely sad. That's one of my favorite movies. Though. Shining yes. is one of my five favorite movies. Did I've you see seen... Room Two Thirty Seven? Of course. Okay. I love that I, so much. I've seen The Shining like legitimately forty times. Mm-hmm. It's well, I would watch it with my sister every time it snowed when we were kids. <gasps> oh my god. I feel like, yeah, I don't know. And growing up in Colorado, it felt like yes. 
I don't know. It just felt like our movie. It felt like a special movie with my sister, which is, uh, you know, of course, the kind of movie you want to put on and uh, just have good memories with your it sister. Is. It's really a comforting film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is like, kind of nice, though, as as kids to be like, wow, parents can be real shitheads. God. And it's it's yeah. good that we know that, <laughs> you know, it really is. That movie has everything. I, I'm not even like Room 237 was super fun to watch because I love the movie but like i don't even give a shit about any of that like no literally i don't care if any of that is true if it's all true i don't give a shit like just even on the most base level i just love the movie it's just a it great such a good movie movie okay i i distracted you though so you were saying a little bit sad oh yeah that's I all i was just thinking like there's like something else my nine-year-old's coming down that cool like colors the movie in a different way that makes it like more meaningful what about like uh oh my god texas chainsaw massacre the original oh that's such a good movie that i've seen that one time and i could barely watch it i yeah i I cannot i cannot handle it um and the other thing i was gonna say because my children are now coming down the stairs is um alex and i recorded this during the day everyone Mm -hmm. um I'm reading Ann Yoder's The Enhancers. Oh, yes. It's incredible. I'm really excited uh, to read it. Truly its own thing. She's coming on. When? I, I thought she might be. Mommy, look. I think I have her on the schedule. Yay. Okay, good. Ann Yoder's coming on, everyone. Go get The Enhancers so you're ready. Shout out Meekling Press. What up, Meekling? They sent me a really cute little, like, tiny little, um, like, handmade book about a cat when i ordered this book so everyone and a nice bookmark i gotta order it so there you go there you go all right go enjoy your sunday you too bye bye (laughs) i'm a writer but is recorded by alex hickley and me Lindsay hunter in our respective basements Editing by Lindsay Hunter. Music by Max Loop. Yeah, yeah.